Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. Welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. I'm Rick Morton here along with Phil Dark. We're excited to be with you again this week. Uh, Phil, why don't you tell us who uh, who we're talking to this week? Well, you know, I, I have a, a good friend of mine on uh, this week, uh, Randy Daniels with Buckner. He's a vice president at Buckner and uh, Children's Services, and, they, and they're doing some phenomenal work uh, all around the world. Randy has been doing this for a very long time. We, we uh, interviewed Mike Doris a few uh, episodes back, and, and he's been doing it a bit longer than Randy, but not many people out there have been doing it longer than Randy. Um, and uh, he's got a ton of wisdom to share with us. And not only that, but this guy, I talk about a lot of people being the real deal. This guy's not only the real deal, but he's one of the kindest men you'll ever meet. Uh, Rick, you, do, you know, do you know Randy? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, love Randy and love the the work that he's done at Buckner. He, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that has, is a voice of credibility in our circles because he's done a little bit of everything. Um, you know, he's led domestic programs and international programs and uh, has, you know, has just kind of um, spanned the gamut of, of ways to be engaged in caring for vulnerable children, vulnerable families. So uh, one of the one of the good guys for sure. Absolutely. And as you'll hear on the interview, he's uh, also one of the the men with humility as he shares his wisdom. He, he doesn't think he knows it all. He knows he's continually learning. And that's one of the things I love about him. Uh, he, he loves to share what he's learning with others. I've sat on panels with him. I've heard him speak. And uh, every time I'm just I'm just uh, loving what I'm hearing from this guy. And, and, and this interview is no different. Can't wait uh, to now that I you know I can wait now. I, uh, you guys get to hear it right now. Um, but after I interviewed him, I was like, man, I just cannot wait to get this out there to everybody else because this guy just has so much to teach us. And so pick up a pen, grab a note, you know, notebook. Take some notes of, uh, of what you're going to be hearing in these next few minutes. I'd love to hear your thoughts. As always, if you have thoughts you want to share with us, you can do so at uh, thinkorphan.com. Um, on the show notes here, you can make a comment. You can send us an email at info at thinkorphan.com. Send something on Facebook. Whatever it is, just give us your thoughts. Give us you know an email to tell us any other people that you might have that we should be able to interview on the show. And I, I love that they've been coming in over the last few weeks. Keep them coming, folks, because I'm setting up interviews. Um, in the last couple of weeks, I've been setting up interviews with people who have been recommendations from listeners like yourselves. So keep those coming. But in the meantime, listen to this great interview with Randy Daniels. Well, Randy, it's so great to finally get you on the Think Orphan podcast. Phil, it's good to be here and I uh, appreciate you uh, uh, having me on. Well, yeah, you know, it's something that uh, we've been talking about doing this for a long time and I've uh, been able to grow our friendship over the years and I very much appreciate that. And some I, I, I want to get you on because I know you have been doing this for a long time and uh, you're very thoughtful in what you're doing and, and you have a lot of wisdom to share. So, you know, before we get, get into it, I'd love for you to share a bit about yourself and kind of how you got to be uh, doing what you're doing today. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, and uh, yeah, I've uh, I've done this a long time, and you've been blessed uh, every minute of it. But uh, you know, God called me into the ministry probably when I was uh, about 19 years old. I'd been saved uh, as part of a church in Northern California on, on a retreat, and we uh, moved to Texas and got involved in a uh, Baptist church there. And through that ministry, surrendered to the to the ministry. I didn't know what that meant. I'd only been a Christian about three years, and, and and so I went down a couple of different roads, and in terms of uh, uh, education, uh, took a couple of staff positions in in churches, but didn't feel like that was what God wanted me to do. I didn't feel like I was in the right seat, or uh, that wasn't the ministry He was calling me to. And uh, and along the way, I had the opportunity to, to teach in, uh, in, in high school and do some coaching with kids and really loved being around kids and made some connections with the families and uh, that kind of thing and kind of carved out a little ministry teaching and that kind of thing. Uh, but the, uh, that still wasn't the right fit. And, and God kept tugging on my heart and making me uh, begin to become a little uncomfortable with the idea that I wanted to teach or be on staff position at church. And he, he 
through a series of, of events, including going back to school to work on a graduate degree and that kind of thing, I took a job with Child Protective Services in Texas. Um, of course, by that time, I'd, I'd earned my uh, my undergrad degree, and so I, I, I did that work uh, for eight years. But along the way, God began to carve out in my heart what he wanted me to do. Because um, I got to know people who are in a ministry uh, called Buckner Children and Family Services. It's a Texas-based ministry that I'm part of now. But I got to see the work they were doing on the what I think is the solution side of working with children and families, especially children who've been abused and neglected and could not remain in their homes. I got to see their ministry as they began to help children heal, as they even did some work uh, re- reunifying children with their families and uh, that kind of thing. And, and God began to open up my heart and my mind to that ministry and uh, had, the, had the great opportunity as an employee of uh, the state of Texas to go to graduate school. They sent me to grad school to work on a master's in social work and, uh, and, and had to have, had an agreement that I would give them, uh, for every month I was away from the job, I'd give them two months back and, and in terms of service. So I, I did that in a, a, right at a month before that was, the agreement was uh, fulfilled. I get a phone call from Buckner asking me if I'd be interested in going to work for their ministry. And the, the timing was perfect. I fulfilled my commitment to the state, and then I went to work for, for Buckner. On what I think for me is the solution side of working with children who have been displaced for uh, a number of reasons. So that's how I got into it, and you know, and that was 27 years ago with Buckner, and total, uh, I've been in child welfare work or child welfare ministry for 35 years. Hmm. Because Phil, even when I was working for the state, I was able to kind of carve out a ministry piece of this thing. Um, And so I was able to, to, to find space in, uh, uh, with my families and getting the, getting them connected to churches um, so that as they healed, they had a, 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 a spiritual place to land. And that was so important. So that's how I got involved. That's how it started uh, that, that many years ago. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate you asking. Yeah. I, I sometimes uh, like to go back and think about that story, why I got into it. Absolutely. You know, it's always, I think it's always encouraging to others too, to hear that because, you know, you never know where God's going to lead you. Most people come into this work. It wasn't, you know, the, the, the plan, um, yeah. in their life when they were a kid thinking I'm going to go, you know, work in orphan care when I'm not, I think that's becoming more, a little more common today, mm-hmm. but you know, I know back in the day it was definitely not even, you know, even near my radar, let alone on it. So, oh, yeah. um, so yeah, so it's always encouraging to me to hear the stories, you know, because a lot of times we don't ask those questions when we're getting to know people and we just kind of start with where we are today. And so I think it's good yeah. to go back. And, and with that, you know, what, what, are, what are a couple of the most, like, you know, as you've done this for decades, um, what are a couple of the most important lessons like you, you've learned that you'd you know, want to share with the folks listening today? I think at the top of that list, I found this because I've had the opportunity not only to work with the, the government entity, but also within the Buckner ministry, I uh, worked internationally and lived internationally for a while and worked domestically. One thing I found that's true, I don't, and I don't know, wherever the, the, uh, whatever the geography is, whatever the culture, it doesn't matter. Children want to be in family, mm. and they want to be in their family. Yeah. So regardless of, 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 of the context, it, it doesn't matter. They yearn absolutely yearn to be with family uh and and so that that at over the years you know i've I've kind of come back to that okay why do we do this ministry why do i do what i do uh what is the 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 motivator and that's for uh children to be in 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 their family And, and i know there are exceptions to that and i know that you know foster care kinship care Institutional care at some level is necessary, but kids want to be in their family. The other, uh, and it's related to family again, 
I keep coming back to the same place. Parents, for the most part, and again, regardless of context, want the best for their kids. They want their kids to be educated. They want them to be healthy. They want them to live in a safe a safe place. They want them to grow spiritually. They want to, to know that when they leave this earth or their children leave that, their home, they're better off than they were and that they've got a hopeful future. So those are the, the two big lessons that uh, I've learned over, uh, over the years that real simple, but for me, ground me in what it is I do. Now, with that, you know, as you say those two things, which we talk about so much on the show and, and in our conversations that you and I have together and other people have in orphan care, you know, you think about those two things together, that parents want what's best for their kids and children want to be with their families and their, you know, their, their family of origin is the, you know, the yearning, you know, even as you hear it so often in adoption, you know, adopted kids and foster kids and that they want to be with, you know, find out who their mom is or who their dad is anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but those don't always, you know, those don't always, uh, uh, don't always work together, if that makes sense. You know, in the right. sense that, you know, right. so sometimes because of, because a mom or dad or both want what's best for their child, sometimes they feel that that means that their child can't be with them. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that? What do you think? Um, I mean, I know there's a lot of reasons, but what, you know, not why, why do you think, like, what have you seen as the reason for that? And then you talked about the solutions, like what are some of the creative ways that uh, Buckner and others that you have seen out there are addressing that kind of, that chasm sometimes between what we, what both of those parties want actually making them both be the same. Yeah. I, I, you know, what my experience is that, you know, a lot of times, uh, Parents, especially you know, who are in, in poverty or you feel like they can't provide for their kids and they want to provide so much uh, more for their kids than what they have so that their future is different. And sometimes they're faced with hard choices, you know, very hard choices. You know, are, is, is there a better place for their child to live, such as in a children's home or an orphanage is, is uh, the term is used? Is that a better place for their child uh, with respect to building a different future? Uh, and that's such a hard decision for a parent, and it's it's it, they anguish over that. For example, uh, I did a, a series of interviews with uh, children in Ethiopia, where these were actually young adults when I did the interviews, but they had been raised in uh, orphan care and orphanages in Ethiopia. And the reason they were is because their parent or parents didn't have the income, didn't have the ability to provide just simple things like food. They couldn't do it. And how and, and we talked about it and and they knew the over time they learned of the anguish and the uh, pain that their parent or parents went through to place them in this orphanage and and how much they yearned to have them back home, back at in their home. Uh, so, I, you know, I've, I've seen that uh, and how it really tugs on on their hearts, uh, both directions, for the parent uh, wanting their child back with them and for the child wanting to be back with the parent, but knowing that they didn't have the provision, they didn't have the ability in that context to take care of their kids. Uh, but on the solution side, what that drove drove me and drove Buckner to was, okay, how do we develop solutions that address all the above? More of a holistic approach. You know, one thing, how do we help families at, at the grassroots level in the community who are living in, you know, often in poverty because that's the number one reason children are placed in out of home mm-hmm. uh, in the world? You know, how do we strengthen them help them create, you know, uh, the means to take care of their kids. And, and so it's, for Buckner, what we did several years ago, we made a decision, we're going to take the resources we were spending on our children's homes, because at one point in time we had, I believe it was 11, between what we had here in Texas and what we had in other countries uh, that we had oversight of. We're going to take those resources, and we're going to move them from operating a children's home to developing two things. One is a uh, kinship care program, 
but is is uh, with wraparound, so that those kinship care families, it could be aunt, uncle, grandparent, uh, older older sibling, could be the parent themselves, so that we wrap services around them to help them grow stronger, mm-hmm. so they can take care of their own kids. Um, so it was taking those resources, uh, both uh, financial resources, staff skills, even our uh, facilities, and, and repurposing those to, to help uh, reunite families, children into their family, but then working with that family to grow stronger. So we work in you know, kind of a multi-generational approach to working with families. So that was one thing. Another uh, solution we looked at and have developed, uh, uh, we have eight centers right now, it's what we call a family pathways. And that's basically families who are struggling with life, often victims of uh, domestic violence, and typically it's the mother uh, who's, who's been victimized uh, or children who have been uh, placed in maybe in the foster care system or have been with other relatives because that parent didn't have the means, the ability to care for that child. Uh, so, so what we do is is we work with them uh, within a uh, kind of a residential setting. So what we developed are either apartments or a, uh, more of a duplex setting. The the mother and their children live there, live with us. We provide wraparound services, uh, you know, often therapeutic, uh, parent education. Uh, uh, child development kinds of, uh, of services. And then that parent, we work with them to go to a local community college to develop the skills to get a job to provide for their child on their own long term. So we're, we're really trying to get down to kind of get down to that uh, really uh, family level. You know, what can we do that with that family working with everybody within the household to help them develop the, the, the skills needed uh, to move forward in, in life and have a, to paint a different picture uh, with respect to their future. Right. And, we, and we do the, the you know, we have foster care, kinship care in, in, in six countries outside of the States and of course here in the States. Uh, we do uh, adoption domestic adoption here in Texas, and we do domestic adoption in Kenya. Mm-hmm. So one of uh, three or four organizations that's been permitted by the Kenya law to do that. And, and I think so far we, in the last two years, we've placed, I believe, 71 children into uh, permanent Kenya families. Hmm. So we, you know, we're, we're trying to work the whole continuum of uh, uh, care or really what I would with what I would term as we're trying to provide all the solutions to, but all geared and directed towards keeping either keeping children in their families of origin or reunifying them into their families or creating family for them. Uh, So, I mean, it's a multiple pronged approach because I think it's our duty, it's our ministry, it's our responsibility to create solutions for children. Yeah. Uh, and so we've, uh, that's been our work really for the last 20 years. Right. Kind of moving from the institutional model to this family-based model. Yeah. Now it's a, it's something that we've talked about so often, uh, just the idea of the interconnectedness of family preservation and poverty alleviation and yep, and the yep. adoption and foster care and institutional and how that is all interconnected. And if one's done really well, it lessens the need and the, the you know, for the other, right? And you yep. know, it goes to yeah, the anti-trafficking work and mentoring as well. If we can, on the absolutely. front end, disciple and identity and and strengthen families and alleviate yeah. poverty. You know, it's and it, it it's something we need to work hand in hand with all these different things. I love how Buckner's doing all of it. Um, but one of the things you alluded to, and mm-hmm. it's something that we talk about a lot because there's a whole lot of institutions around the world, and mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. alluded to the fact that there is a a small 
place for that. But what what is that in in your mind in the <laughs> ideal setting? And then also though talking speaking to the reality because you know we got to live in reality, right? So oh, yeah. Yeah. so what is kind of the ideal first of all? And then we talk about you know I talk about that gold standard so to speak. And then, I mean, ideal in, in reality, but then also just the reality of where we are today with the institutions. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good way to frame it, too. I think the ideal, of course, is every child would be in a family. Mm-hmm. Every child would be in their family of origin. Right. Uh, and they would be raised by uh, Christian parents, uh, spiritually developed, uh, emotionally developed, uh, and, and grow up to be uh, part of God's kingdom and, and doing God's work. We know that's not reality. Mm-hmm. We know the reality is, you know, uh, whatever number you want to believe is 160 million orphans in the world, and you know, not sure all, all, always what that means. But we know that there are kids who the reality for them, on the ground where they live, is that they don't have family, or they have they have family that can't take care of them. Institutional care, I think, does come into play. I think there's there's times that. Uh, you know, children need a specialized type of care for a variety of reasons. One is, is maybe it's more therapeutic. They need that kind of environment because they're not able to, to, to manage within a, the structure of a family, whether it's foster family, kinship care, or adoptive family. So there's there's specialized care for them that's geared to help them deal with their issues and prepare them to go back to family. Mm-hmm. Again, let, let me, let me frame this around the, the, my, uh, what I think is everything we do has to be directionally targeting towards getting children back in families, wherever that is along the continuum. But there are times that children need that institutional care. There are times that there is nothing else available at all. So the choice is, is the child going to be on the street or is the child going to be in at least some kind of supervised care? Right. Uh, and, and, and again, my... Uh, even my thoughts around that is okay. That for in the immediate crisis, yes, that's that's a good. That may be the only solution. May not be the best, but it's the only solution. So that's what you do. But then you've got to uh, strategically and intentionally move towards family-based care with those kids. Right. You can't leave that alone. Whether you do it or you partner with somebody to do it, you've got to do it. And even within that system, you know, Phil and you and I have talked about this. Uh, we still got to make efforts to be as family-like as we can. Right. Always. You know, and, and with, but the reality is it's not their family, and those kids know it, and, mm-hmm. and, and their yearning doesn't change. But as family-like as we can so that we, they can be prepared to move toward a, a true, true reunification with their family or their new family, whatever it may be. Right. Uh, you know, so yeah, I do see a role for institutional care. Uh, we have a couple of places uh, in, we have two in Kenya and we have one in uh, near Houston here in Texas that they serve as transitional centers. Mm. Uh, and these are places that, for example, in Kenya, the police pick up a child off of the street. Well, their only placement option is to bring those uh, children to us or other transitional centers, and there's a few, and they bring that child to us, and then that child stays with us for typically 30 to to 45 days, uh, depending on their their circumstance. And then our job, working with the uh, social workers within the government and the police and the courts, is to do some family tracing and begin to prepare that child to go to that family and that what that means, we'll also reach out to that family to help prepare them to receive that child. And, and that's where you've got to, we approach it holistically. Okay, when we get to the family, whether it's the, bio, the biological family, the kinship care, relative, whatever it may be, how do we prepare them? Because often they're in, they're in poverty, uh, they're struggling with life uh, just like everybody else. So you know, how do we prepare them to to, to care for the, the, their children at a at a high uh, for long on a long term basis? Yeah. Uh, does that? And, and so I, you know, again, I think whether we we do it 
within the uh, uh, context of our organization, all of it, or we do it in partnership with others. I think there's got to be an intentionality and a, and a strategy that moves kids towards family. Right. Always. No, absolutely. And I think that that's a very healthy, healthy view about it because, you know, mm-hmm. the, like you said, you know, we got to live, we got to be grounded in reality because otherwise, yeah. you know, people will just, you know, rightfully say you have no clue what yeah. you're talking yeah. about because yeah. you're, you're not here. You don't see it. And I think that you, to face the reality that we're in a broken world is a, is a necessary starting point. And, you know, you and I have absolutely. talked about that a lot. Yeah. Um, while at the same time, never, you know, losing sight of the, of the yeah. ideal and of the vision and of where we're seeking to go, um, to bring that shalom, uh, to the community around us. Absolutely. So, um, you know, with that, you know, th- other than what we've talked about today and, you know, there are so many issues in orphan care, but what is one of the other biggest kind of issues that we're together facing in orphan care and how, how can we address that, uh, in a collaborative fashion? I think one of the, the, the most pressing needs we have is capacity. We don't have capacity as we sit today to care for all the children that need to be cared for. Right. Uh, we just don't have it. I, I, in, in, I know in Texas we don't. We've got, you know, there's, there's 32,000 children in just the system in Texas alone. Mm. Uh, and there, there's uh, 6,000 today that are available to be adopted, but we don't have families. Right. So we don't have the capacity. Uh, another, you know, that, that, that's kind of a, a subset of that is we've got the a growing population in the southwest part of the country, and I'm more familiar with that and, and elsewhere, but uh, because I'm familiar with the southwest part of the country, a growing Hispanic population that's coming into the child welfare system, and there's certainly uh, very few Hispanic families available for those kids. So, you know, how do we, so I think a pressing issue is how do we uh, build capacity and build it in a way that we're bringing in families from churches, Christian families who are committed to meet the children where they're at and take them where they need to be. Um, and and that, that's such a huge challenge because if we don't build that capacity then, then the kids are forced into situations that are not healthy for them, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And we're, we're forced to provide children with inadequate care. And we right. can't do that. Right. So I think that to, to me, whether it's here or the work, uh, and I just got back from Kenya, the work we were doing in Kenya is uh, building, so much of it is about building capacity. Right. Yeah, you know, it's it's, and I think you hit it on the head that you know we mm-hmm. talk to people all the time about putting the kids, these kids, in the places where they need to be. But the reality is, there simply is not there's not enough of those places. And yeah. so we can talk about it all day long, and we can all agree on it. But if we don't have the resources, and, and it's not a matter of well, we have a bunch of people in the U.S. and even the U.S. we're not hitting the numbers that we need, yeah. right? But right. like a lot of these countries, it's just absolutely not part of the the, the cultural norm right. to even think about the, you know, these children in some countries, it's absolutely part of the DNA of the, the cultures and the communities mm-hmm. to take mm-hmm. in the children that are, that are orphaned and abandoned. Um, and then there's other countries where those children are brought in, but they're used as slaves or they're used as something else, which is another yeah. issue, right? I mean, so absolutely. there's so many realities that we need to account for and, um, I think that that's something I've really appreciated about talking with you is I think that you, you know, we don't know all of the realities around the world, but we are, we're eager to learn and we're eager to, you know, see how we can implement the right answers in those with other yeah, people. Yeah. So. Well, I think, you know, one of the uh, challenges, I think it's an opportunity and a challenge at the same time is, is we've got to continue as, as, as I think advocates for kids especially as Christians. We've got to continue presenting these, these, these uh, best practices, even in the face of no, even in the face of that won't work here, even in the face of we don't have the resources, we have to continue to advocate and push and press for what's best for kids. 
because uh, I think sometimes, especially working internationally, sometimes I, I, I think we're leery, uh, maybe hesitant to, to have that kind of conversation uh, about what's best for kids. And because it, it, it's not a, I'm telling you what to do. It's, it's not the kind of conversation. It's a true dialogue we need to have. Because again, back to your initial question, uh, what have I found working in, uh, around the world globally is that children want to be in family and family want their children with them and they want a better life. And, and that's cro- that works cross-culturally. We need to have that conversation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, this brings us to the last couple questions to ask everybody. And here it goes. So what have you read, watched, or listened to lately that has uh, impacted your thinking on how we can love orphaned and vulnerable children with excellence? Yeah. That's, a, that's a great question. Because uh, hopefully I'm open all the time to, uh, to listening and learning. Mm-hmm. The uh, most, most recently was uh, really was conversation with my wife. And her friends, because we just returned from Ethiopia, where uh, she's from. Hmm. But while there, uh, we went to the orphanage that she grew up in. Because she grew up in a a government orphanage in Addis Ababa. And I I watched and I heard and I listened to her talk with the girls who are in that home now. And talk to the director. And look around, and I saw the tears and uh, and the anguish she had. Because what her memory was so much better than what she saw. Because she was in that circumstance as a child that her her family didn't have any resources. But as she began to talk with the girls and and begin to understand their their circumstance and. Uh, and then saw the conditions they're living in and began to uh, yearn for them to have family, for, 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 for them to have a different future than what she was seeing on that spot on that day. Uh, but to see my wife connect to that mm. uh, and... And then to walk away and, and not only thinking about it, but now has a plan. Okay, she's going, what is she going to do to ensure or to help ensure that they've got a different future than what they have now? Right. Uh, and, and I see that because she lived it. Uh, she experienced it firsthand. Uh, you know, God blessed her. Because she, he, while she was in that orphanage, he reached out to a local church, evangelical church, and they wrapped themselves around that orphanage, and they wrapped themselves around her. Mm. And while we were in Ethiopia and in, in Addis, we had a reunion with them as well, the pastors. Uh, and God blessed her and brought her uh, into a whole different place. Mm. But I, I, I listened to her. I listened to her hard, especially yearn for these girls that they'd have a different future and and that future uh, is she uh, would say would would utter the words that future has got to be about family Hmm. and what can we do to help what can we do to make a difference so that impact is those those kind of things that just uh, impacts me over and over again because I saw her reaction when I when she saw this circumstances they were living in yep absolutely yeah yeah well the next question last question is related um and and it may be the same answer but if there's somebody else as well but what person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence well you know i could repeat and just say my wife (laughs) and she certainly has uh and that was uh uh would be true Mm-hmm. But uh, a, a another person, uh, and it, this goes back a long time ago to when I was probably 14 years old. And I'll be honest with you, I don't remember his name. And that was actually before I was a Christian. But mm-hmm. God has used that to bring forward. He was a teacher I had 
in uh, when I was in school in California. And on a field trip, he took us to a a state hospital. Uh, and, and back then, you know, it was it was more of a show and tell. So he took us there, and one of the places he took us into was a uh, the children's wing of the hospital. And I remember him asking a real simple question. At 14, what do I know? I didn't know anything. Uh, but I, it, 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 it hit and it hit hard. He said, uh, he turned to us as a class and he said, uh, would you want to live here? Mm. Would you want to be here? Well, most of the kids laughed. But that penetrated my heart. Because even as an... It, it, because I remember walking out from there thinking, you know, because I'd asked a lot of questions about God. Uh, I didn't know him yet, but I'd asked a lot of questions. And I kept asking the question, God, this can't be right. Hmm. This, can't, this can't be right. So uh, two years later, I became a Christian and then you know, later on led to the ministry. But I'll never forget that because I, I remember that now when I do my work, do this ministry, that, yeah, what's God's plan for kids? And what, what does he want? And what does he consider right for kids? Hmm. But my wife's story would trump that one. So, <laughs> <laughs> Of course, that's, a, that's the, yeah. the, the real answer and also the nice political answer as well. So yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you're a smart man. Yeah. So, well, thanks so much, Randy. I, I uh, as expected, lots of lots of wisdom shared. Thank you for that, and thank you for being open, honest, vulnerable. Very much appreciated. Very much appreciate our friendship as well. Phil, I, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, look forward to uh, maybe another conversation at some point. Well, thanks again, Randy. Uh, absolutely love listening to and learning from this man, Rick. What'd you think about this interview? I was able to do with Randy. Man, just, uh, you know, obviously, as, as we talked about at the beginning, uh, just love Randy, love his, you know, his perspective on this um, in, in so many ways. I think one of the things I was really just sort of struck by in in the interview is is um, the way that that Randy has maintained conviction. Um, but but he's definitely been part of changing the model and changing the way of doing ministry over the years. And so, um, you know, staying, staying faithful to the gospel, staying faithful to, um, you know, core principles, but, but not being married to methodologies. Um, he's, you know, he's found a way and led, led a ministry to, um, you know, sort of morph and change and, and become what it needs to be in the moment. And I, I just, you know, I love that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this guy has uh, so much to share with us and, and he has done, like you said, he's done so many things and he, that's why I loved asking him the questions. You know, I love asking the questions of people who have been doing it for a really long time. I asked Mike the similar questions. What have you learned? What are like the main lessons? You know, the biggest issues and the main lessons you've been learning. And the two that he said were so simple yet so profound when we're doing our work, right? If we just listen, it's kind of like when, you know, uh, Jesus was asked, you know, what, what's the law? Basically, what, what, what are we supposed to be doing? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, right? If you do those things, you'll do everything else, right? And if we remember the lessons as he's saying, children yearn to be in family. And the second lesson, parents want the best for their kids, right? Generally speaking, right? It's not always true, right? But if we think about these things as we're going about our business, as we're doing the work that we're doing, man, it's, 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 it's simple yet really complex in its, in its application and how you do it in the context of everything. Um, actually, interestingly, a woman uh, called me recently and said, hey, I'm doing my PhD on contextualization. I'd love to you know, hear your thoughts on whether you think that you know, context is critical in like every type of orphan care going on around the world. And I said, absolutely, context is critical. And there's multiple contexts that we have to deal with. We have political, we have social, we have uh, economic, we have uh, legal, we have you know, the, just the general cultural, right? The, the different countries. And it's not just within each country. You have, you know, different tribes, different totems, depending on the country. You have different, right? So different communities, different cultures. So it's, it's so interesting. But when you go back to it and say, but you know what? Dep all those contexts, yeah, children are to be in family. Yeah. 
Right. Well, I, I love, you know, I love the fact that, you know, you talked a little bit about the work that, that Buckner's done in residential services and, you know, how they've kind of morphed over the years from being a uh, being focused on residential care of children to now, um, you know, providing residential services for, for families, for parents, um, you know, with those wraparound services and, and you know, this idea that, um, you know, even as he, he talked about just the hard choices that poverty uh, often bring you know, to, to parents and, and the things that, you know, the things that are, that are, that are challenging and sort of the running buddies of poverty. Um, and just what a, you know, what a, a unique way of thinking about, uh, family support and, in, in really changing those facilities and, and changing the, you know, the way that they approach ministry in order to give families a place to sort of find stability and, you know, parents to be able to get an education and a good job and things that are, um, you know, that are vital for their success, but, uh, but stepping in and wrapping around them while those families seek that stability. And, you know, just, um, you know, that's something we're committed to and, um, you know, lots of us believe in, but just see the way that love the way that they've put, um, you know, feet to that vision and have found a way to, you know, succeed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think even in that context, as he was talking about, as you know, I, I asked him about the institutional, right? Because we know that, you know, Buckner, as you said, they've transitioned from doing that to now being very much a champion for family-based care and for families, right? To strengthen families. And, and as he said, the gold standard of family, he and I have talked about that at all, a, a lot, but we also have reality, right? And there's certain situations, as he said, the specialized care for therapeutic care that, you know, to allow the children to go back to family. And he kept saying like to do stuff, to allow the children to go back to family, you know, or if there's absolutely no other care to be, you know, available intentionally move, you know, any residential care toward family, you know, like La Providencia in Honduras that we have, we have the families in the context of what technically is an orphanage, but it's, it's family homes. Right. And so, so that's kind of the, even the institutional settings are families, right. To the extent possible. You feel, I was just going to, I was going to say, I think, I just think the idea that he's not a, not an ivory tower, um, you know, sort of idealist that, that part of it is because Randy has been in the trenches for, you know, 30 plus years. Um, he, he is a, he very much is a realist and, you know, and understands that, that part of, you know, part of our, our work in this area is sometimes we don't always get to, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's good or better. It's not always, uh, ideal. And, uh, you know, but but that that they but always having his eye on the ball of uh, family and as close to family um, and and as best, a, you know, a child can be integrated into family is, is ultimately always the goal. And, uh, you know, just love that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and that actually goes to one of the issues that he talked about that all of us know is an issue when we're doing this work, um, whether it's in the context of training, whether it's in the context of of the children and caring for the children. It's the fact that, you know, capacity, it's a major issue. Like we just don't have the capacity. We don't have the resources to care for all the kids that are coming into care, you know, and, and, you know, the, the whole stats that we have that if, you know, every church, uh, you know, adopted a kid, you know, we'd, we'd solve the problem. Well, we know that's not a, uh, actually true because a lot of the kids aren't adoptable around the world because part of the capacity issue is the governments aren't tracking the kids well enough and aren't, the kids aren't adoptable, but also the churches simply aren't doing that. So to have that stat is, you know, it's, it, we don't want to guilt trip people into doing things. Now it's good to, to share those things with people to say here, it is solvable, right? We can do this, but not to say, look, you know, we can do it tomorrow if we did this, because that's, that's really a false reality to live in. Um, but you know, capacity is a major issue and that's something that, you know, I, I love that he brought that up because it's somebody who knows something, you know, who knows what he's talking about. And it's something that once we identify the issues, then we can do stuff to solve them. Right. Rather than as you said, living in an ivory tower or living in kind of, as I, you know, as I say, kind of this fantasy land in this dream world, uh, theory, theory world, you know, as I've talked about in the past, um, that doesn't help anybody. Well, and I think, you know, when, when he talked about capacity building, one of the, one of the ideas that, you know, just kind of ran through my mind, even in, you know, listening to that part of his, his comments is, um, 
that, you know, many times I think we focus capacity building or capacity conversations on what we don't have. We don't focus it on what we do have. And, you know, and, and I think one of the one of the great errors of the church in kind of this whole realm is there are a lot of churches that are doing a lot of good things that are that have extension to be able to you know, really affect vulnerable children in their community and, and vulnerable children around the world. You know, tutoring ministries, feeding ministries, things like that. I was in a, in a church yesterday um, that was talking about, you know, they're, they're feeding kids um, on, on the weekends and through the week and, you know, kids that are kind of living at and below the poverty level in, in their local high school. And, and, and the truth was they had not really connected the dots between that ministry that they're already deeply involved in and, you know, kind of this whole concept of, of James 127. They didn't even think of it in terms of, you know, being, you know, being that kind of work. And, and so building upon what they're already doing, they, you know, they can stretch and they have the capacity to stretch a little bit more in some areas and, and to do a few, you know, a few more things, um, and and so always making sure that we're connecting the dots for folks and that they they really do see, um, you know, the issue framed well is is, I think, a you know, a constant challenge. And that's a huge challenge. And that's something we talk about all the time. Right. The, the collaboration the, to, to see the interconnectedness and then to do something about it. Right. And then to actually collaborate, work together. We're working on some projects right now. Um, I don't even think I've shared it with you yet, Rick, but we're working on some projects with the, you know, training to, to really start bringing all the trainers around the world together, create a collective that we can actually work together and not just to say, oh yeah, we're going to do trainings together, but potentially do a training where if I'm in, you know, Zimbabwe doing training, I can pipe in some other trainers via Skype, via, you know, technology where, you know, one of us will be there in person and the rest can come in and be there. Right. So that that's how you can expand capacity. It's just one idea. Right. And, and we haven't fleshed it out. It's not it's not done yet. We haven't. It's just the ideation stage at this point. Right. Probably too early to even share on the on the show. But I didn't give a lot of details. But the idea is, you know, to to bring together stuff where, again, it's kind of like we talked about last week, the back to back. Right. If we can share our resources, not just in the context of, of, you know, here's my written curriculum, but share our resource in the context of, look, we can give and take and do stuff together, knowing that it's not going to be perfect for everybody and in, in ideal in the sense of we have full control over everything, because once you collaborate, you give up a little bit of control, right? Um, and some people don't like that, but that's the type of stuff we're going to have to do that if we're really going to make strides in the world. Um, to be able to take care of all these issues. We need to work together. We need to see the interconnectedness of everything. And we need to actually, um, con- like you said, connect the dots of these different issues that we're working with. Yeah. Love the fact, too, that he, you know, he did also draw the conversation back to, um, you know, thinking in terms of best practices. And and so, you know, that idea that that we are, you know, that we are stretching ourselves is sometimes we do, uh, you know, have to, to, to give up a little bit of control. Sometimes we do have to, you know, compromise a bit in order to to do these things well and to do them in, in community together, but always keeping our eye on um, eye on the ball of what's, you know, what's really in the best interest of children, what's what's in the best interest of vulnerable families, what's, you know, those those types of things. And uh, love the fact that, you know, that Randy just is a, is a guy and those of us that know him, know anything about the work that he's done over the years is there's, there's always a degree of quality and excellence. And I, I think, you know, we just have to strive there as well. Absolutely. You know, and, and I know we could talk about Randy for, for days. Um, but, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna cut it off right now so that uh, we can get to recommendations. Um, and you know, I have a kind of a different recommendation today. It's actually a book series. I've done this before. I have some fiction. I, I actually went on a fiction kick in January and I read uh, 11 fiction books in January. Now by reading, of course, if you know, if you listen to this show long enough, you know that I listen to the books um, for the most part when I, when I call it reading. And so some people would say that's not actually reading, but I disagree, but that's a different conversation for a different day. But I actually listened to some books by uh, David Baldacci. And it's the Will Roby series. Have you ever read any of those, Rick? You know, Phil, you're absolutely 
your I think your goal in this podcast is to expose me as being someone who doesn't do anything. Well, so pretty I, much. That's one of my goals. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't read a lot of fiction. Yeah, that's okay. You're not alone. You're not alone. And, yeah. and I, I usually don't either. But I think in January, I just said, you know what, I'm gonna take a break from nonfiction, because that's pretty much all I read um, outside of January, apparently. Um, I'm in the middle of another another pretty thick book that I will likely recommend later. So just suspense, I know is killing some of the people out there. But uh, this book, or this series is actually the interesting thing is that I find in most movies, and fiction is that there is a fatherless story in these different stories because it is so um, normal now in our society. We often don't even see it in the movies or in the thing. I've actually been paying close attention to it. And when you think about it, a lot of the superhero movies, a lot of the, you know, um, I just, you know, like Spider-Man, that's a, you know, the Superman, you know, these are, these are very much uh, fatherless issues going on in trauma in these lives. Right. And so this, this book is no different. This Will Roby is a guy, you know, that has father issues. And interestingly throughout almost every one of these books, it's a sick, it's a five book series. It starts with the innocent. And then I think it's the hit, the target, the guilty and in game. So I actually listened to all of them, um, last month and it was really interesting. I'm not going to give anything away, but there are, it, it is, it is amazing just the depth of, of, uh, storytelling in the con the depth of storytelling in the fatherless story of not only the Will Roby character, but, uh, a couple of the other characters in, in the book, almost every major character has a father issue and, uh, you know, some of them a mother issue as well, but there's just, just brokenness that has caused trauma that has then caused them to do certain things in their life. And they resolve them for the most part, different ways. Um, they bring closure to them, let me say in the, in the books, but it's not without trauma in, in every situation. And it's not without baggage and it's not without issues. And that's something for us to learn from, right? I mean, in the context of fiction, the reason why I read fiction is twofold. One is, you know, for the storytelling, um, it's just, it's just fun and it's, it's interesting. Um, but the other is, you know, it, it, well, actually there's, there's three reasons. There's that one. The second is for my own storytelling to be able to tell stories better. And that's why I always recommend fiction to people is you can learn how to tell stories better if you're in the context of a job that requires storytelling, which most do. And then the third reason is, you know, now I'm reading it for these, you know, to, to read it for the, for the fatherless story, to, to see how it's handled in society, you know, because I need to know the cultural, um, you know, temperature as far as what it is, how it's telling the story, what the trauma, uh, how the trauma is dealt with in these stories. It's, it's really interesting because then you can actually connect with people on it in different ways. So anyway, any thoughts on that? Excellent recommendation, my friend. Excellent well, recommendation. Thank you. Now, now you might, you, I know you're not going to go read it. So, but I'm, if you I'm really, I'm really to not, pick I'm up good a for a John book. Grisham book about once a year. And that's, that's kind of the extent <laughs> of my fiction. Baldacci's like this, this, this series is like the, the Grisham spy. If Grisham wrote a book, like a spy, uh, government thriller, that would be, that would be Baldacci. So in this, in this context, but anyway, I know that's not what you're going to read. So <laughs> on that note, folks, you know, take everything that you learned today, take everything that you're, you know, you're watching, you're, you're seeing i mean like i as i even said in that recommendation folks like just whatever you're doing take it and, and think about how you can use it to love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day thanks a lot have a great week we hope you've enjoyed today's think orphan podcast for all the information in this week's podcast please visit us at thinkorphan.com. you too can be part of the conversation send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the think orphan facebook page thanks for listening and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of think orphan